Yo, what is going on? And welcome to Can We Talk About This with Murphy Wells. I am him, and it feels good to be back less than 24 hours after my last episode, which if you've listened to uh, upon further inspection, because guys, I won't lie, I did that episode very, very late last night. It was like 11 o'clock, and I was a little out of it. Um, it's some of the rougher editing I've ever done on an episode. So a lot of the mistakes and a lot of those little cues to myself are still in there, but I think that adds to the authenticity. So if you listened to last night's episode and you noticed that, I'm sorry if it hindered your experience at all, but you know, at least you get to know what my editing process sounds like. Um, but like I said last night, the new house has this new setup. The, the acoustics for the walls are not great by any means, but the other thing that I did touch on is that I now have multiple inputs for my microphones and I'm excited to have guests. And today I actually have my first guest and it, I, I just think it's only fitting because as I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, this guy not only has helped me in terms of getting this off the ground and actually like becoming a medium I really like to do, uh, but he's still a friend that I spend a whole lot of time with, I get a whole lot of ideas with. And I only thought it was fitting that he would be here in the new house uh, he was actually one of the first people here when I moved in. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend, Mark Anthony Joe. What's going on? Man. Hello. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I know how you're doing because we just ate breakfast not long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Glad to be here, man. Really, really happy and excited to see what we get into. Absolutely. And I mean, this is going to be a really interesting episode for me specifically because I mean, I'll, get, I'll get to the thematic elements in a minute, but... Uh, you know, introduce yourself, who you are, where you've been, what you're doing. Uh, who Who is Mark Joe? Oh, man. I wasn't ready for this. Uh, you know, I'm just a, a regular guy that, uh, um, I don't I don't know, I uh, I have a podcast of my own. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's at Mark Anthony Joe. Um, if you really want to get to know me, I try to do a good job of, 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 <laughs> Of sharing, of sharing my life. You know, I'm having fun doing it. I am an entrepreneur. I used to work uh, with Murphy, alongside Murph, at uh, at First Form, First Form HQ. I spent a lot of time there. I learned a lot, met a lot of awesome people, and uh, and yeah, now I have um, a couple companies that I'm working on. I, I have a passion project um, that is coming to fruition right now. Um, I recently uh, decided to open a coffee shop, which is something that I've I've wanted to do for. A decade or so like I, I just love coffee I've started drinking coffee early and I think it's one of those simple things in life that gives you uh, that just gives you so much joy like nothing like the first sip of coffee in the morning like there's nothing like it like that first sip yeah. come on Murph <laughs> you know it's not even the sip it's it, the sniff before the it's sip. it's just man that first sip so I just you know, something that I've really wanted to share with people, like my, like how I feel about it. I want, I want to create an experience or an environment where you can come in and get that first sip feeling every time you come in, and and it's I want to share that with people, and I think I can do that. So I'm excited about that, um, and everything else. Life is good, so that's who I am, and, and and what I'm up to. So I actually have a question about your love of coffee because, mm -hmm. I mean, as we sit here, you know, we're, we're drinking caffeine. Um, but that is one thing I do remember specifically about working with you is that while true, you would sometimes have a canned caffeinated beverage on hand. Your love is coffee. Like, I think you love coffee more than you love most people. If I'm being honest. Oh yeah, that's a fact. What, what is it about coffee that makes you so happy? Cause I like it, but like you are like, again, you're a connoisseur. I'm, I'm a dude who's like, I just want caffeine. I, you know what? That's so interesting. Cause I've never actually thought about it. 
and I, and I wouldn't necessarily call myself a connoisseur. Like I just like, I just like the kind of, I just like what I like, you know, and, and I know what I don't like. And I don't know so much about it though. I don't know what makes the coffee that I like taste the way that it does or anything like that. In fact, I'm starting to get into that process and learning how to roast and make specialty drinks and all kinds of things. Um, but when you were asking me it, since it's the first time I'm ever thinking about it, um, what immediately came to mind is that when I started drinking coffee the way that I do now, which is black, um, I started drinking coffee early and, and I always do, do, you'll think this is funny. I don't know. Can I say like some like, some like politically incorrect shit on here? Cause it's just, bro, it's just, I have truth. an episode with no apologies. It's, like it's, it's literally just the truth. <laughs> so, and it's just, it's just, you know, a story from Oldmar. Okay. But, um, when I first started drinking coffee, I would go to the Star or Dunkin' Donuts drive-through. Which, by the way, I like Dunkin' Donuts more than Starbucks, just, just because they have real sugar and not like those syrups in their mm -hmm. drink. So when you order like an iced coffee with some sugar in it, like there's real sugar in the bottom, and you can like dig it out with your straw, and yeah. it's like little surprises every couple every couple <laughs> minutes in your coffee. It was great, um, but anyway, so when I first started drinking coffee, I was I was about sixteen, so I'd hit the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, and I would literally, no joke, I'd be like. I like my coffee. They'd be like, hey, what can we get for you? I'd be like, I like my coffee like I like my women. Extra light and extra sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so, so, so when, uh, that's so stupid. I was such a turd when I was 16. Yeah, no, but, one's, no one's perfect. But, uh, okay, so when I, when I stopped drinking my coffee like that and I started drinking it black, which is the way that I drink it now. That's the way that I would drink it if I was trying, you know, any coffee, any new coffee. Um, it was when I was in prison and when I was like my, my whole, like everything was changing, everything was changing in a positive way. And so when, essentially when I left that old version of me behind and I embraced a new version of me entirely was the same period of time that I started drinking my coffee black, that I started really being a daily and habitual and avid coffee drinker. Mm -hmm. That was, it was in that same period of time. And I, and it's so interesting, but I think that when, obviously the coffee had nothing to do with it, but I, I see this in the fitness industry too. Like people can implement a whole bunch of new habits um, or products or whatever, or services, maybe they get coaching or whatever. And, and they implement a whole bunch of new different things. And if great things happen during that period, they're going to associate, um, you know, they're going to associate their new good fortune with those new behaviors or habits or services that that they've that they've adopted or employed right and so maybe that's a little bit of what's happening with me is that my life changed in such a drastic but profoundly good way when I started drinking coffee and, and being an avid coffee drinker that it's like a it's a part of that version of me mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah does that make sense I know that was deep but for real like it, I first time I'm thinking about it that's really what I think well I mean and look I think out of our friendship, you know that I don't like service level answers. I'd rather you give me a lot of things to work with so I can really figure out who this person is and why they like what they like as opposed to just, hey, here's your standard yes or no answer. Like that's never been who I've been. Yeah. People ask me why, you know, my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction or Goodfellas. It's like 1A, 1B and Goodfellas typically wins. I won't just give you an answer because like, oh, I like the director more. It's like, well, the way that this scene was composed, the way I can quote this and how it relates to my blah, 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 blah. So no, I'd prefer you to go off. Yeah. And now... So since this is something that we, we don't necessarily share in common, but we have some related experiences with, 
the last time that I was sitting in jail, because you mentioned your stint in prison, I remember like these guys would go crazy for their instant coffee. Instant coffee, bro. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. Now, mind you, I never really, I never really did the instant coffee thing. Um, like I know in prison, like I knew guys that would literally dry scoop instant coffee as a pre workout before they go to before they go to the yard. That's all we had. And you know what? It would work. Like it let it dead ass. It would work, and that's all. That's all we had. So dudes would dry screw uh, um, instant coffee. It was crazy. But I always, 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 even in the county. Like I went from the county to the state prison, um, and I and I went in a whole bunch of different prisons. But I always, always, always made my own coffee. I would make it in the microwave. Like you know, I just. I held that standard for myself. And you yeah. know what? You know, dude, can I tell a story about this? Yeah, Bro, there's a, there was a hilarious uh, moment with JB, actually. So, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the... Uh, Jared Bond? Yeah, Jared Bond, but uh, a mutual friend ah. uh, and, and co-worker of, of Murph and I's, right? Uh, so, Jared, when we were at Old HQ, okay, he Green tells point. me... He, he, he finds out how much I love coffee and he's like, man, you got to try this Cuban coffee I had down in Miami. You got to try this Cuban coffee, bro. It's so amazing. Like it's the best coffee I ever had easily. He said, I'm going to order you some. Like, cause we, he went to Miami on a, I think a work trip and he and apparently he had some Cuban coffee down there. It blew him away. He came back. He tells me, dude, I'm going to order you some so you can try it and you got to make it with this thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So he finally, like weeks and weeks and weeks goes, goes by. I don't think anything of it. But then one day the coffee comes and he's like, oh, dude, I got the Cuban coffee. I got the Cuban coffee. It's so good, bro. You got to try it. He's like, come here, try it. Uh, see what it is. So I walk in there, bro. You know what it was? It was Cafe Bustelo, the same exact coffee that we used to get in prison. <laughs> Yo, swear to God, it was the only coffee that you could get in for, mm. for at least for my first few years. Eventually you could get like a Dunkin' Donuts in, but... Um, but it was the first coffee, like in the beginning, when I first went to prison, that was the only actual brewable coffee that you could get sent in from the outside because of the way that it's vacuum sealed. Like they, mm -hmm. you know, they just want to, it's like, insurance know, it's hard to smuggle. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I drank for years in prison. And, and then this guy, Jared, talks to me about it as if it's like some delicacy. I looked at him and I was like, bro, this, this is you get two pounds of this for five bucks at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> it was funny because we were eating some chili at this little diner here in St. Louis. And Mark goes, hey, you know why that chili tastes the way it does? It's from a can. I'm like, okay. It's canned chili. You know how I know that? I'm like, how? I used to have in prison. Yeah. I used to have these butters in prison, yeah. too. That's right. Those <laughs> butters, you know, they gave us these little individual servings of butter. And I'm like, these are the same exact butters that we would get in the mess hall in prison. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and it's funny because I've mentioned Jared Bond on the on the show before about like workouts that change you as a person. Like, yeah, he's claimed my soul no less than five times, and it's funny because this dude will pull some shit like that too. Like, he'll make your day better, but odds are he's probably fucking with you in some way, shape, or form. It's like it's the best coffee I've ever had, and then you have it. It's like, oh shit, I'm getting five pounds for two bucks. Shit. Well, I know. I think that I think this was really genuine. You know, just. He, he had just never been exposed to it yeah. before, but I'm like, and it is in his defense. Like it is Cuban coffee. Like, here's the deal. You talk to any like Latin American people, um, or any like Hispanic people from like South America or Mexico, um, the Caribbean, mm -hmm. like Cafe Bustelo is actually like a, like that's their coffee. Like that's it. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's low, uh, and that's bottom and top shelf to them. Mm. Like it's bottom shelf is so cheap, but it's top shelf to them. Like they right. really make a lot of, uh, of the Cuban coffee with it. It's a delicacy yet. It's trash. It's trash. <laughs> yeah, but it's trash. But it's trash. <laughs> and that's one thing actually about Mark that, um, has really impacted me is that 
as our friendship has grown, as I've gotten to know him more and more, uh, there are certain words that we place onto adjective-wise to, to, to assign things value. And we really got, we got three levels. Uh, it's a good, better, best situation. Uh, but I would just rather hear you say it. We started with trash. It's yeah. not really good, but it's the bottom level. Trash, what are the other two? Trash is, trash is easy. Like, it, it's a huge range. But it's, <laughs> it's, from, it's from literal trash to and worthlessness to mediocre to good to good to like average yeah. or mediocre okay so you if i say something's trash it's anywhere from there all right then there's fire fire is above average okay that, that's fair that's it's, fair description yeah. it's, it's it's good with not a kind of not a sort of it's just a flat it's, good and above it's just good yeah it's it's above average for sure and then um and then crack <laughs> don't ask why i have no idea why but crack <laughs> is uh is is like top of the top that's top shelf yeah. that's that's you know the 90th percentile in another word it's addictive and it's something that you want again and again and again yeah, yeah. like that, the, that's that's a good yeah. the first time you were, you described something to me as crack is we were at first form headquarters and you had those little sour gummy watermelon things <laughs> it was a saturday afternoon like it was a saturday night and we were the only two people there and i just see you just chomping away and i'm, I'm just saying goodbye like murph you gotta try it. These are crack. <laughs> These crack. Are... And it's like it's not just the word crack. It's in all bold with a fat period it's at the, the end way of it. I say crack. It. So if y'all saw that on my story recently, you can blame this man. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, as far as what we're gonna talk about today, believe it or not, we're not just gonna riff about coffee and things being trash fire or crack. Those things will probably come up. Um, but continuing in my series of five things that I've learned from so and so. Uh, with Mark being my first guest I've had on the show, I really thought it'd be cool to break down some of the things he's taught me and some of the things I've just learned from being around him, working under him, um, and growing our friendship from there. And I thought it'd be really interesting for you guys to get an episode where I actually talk to the person. And then eventually, you know, I want to get Cody on the show too. I, I'd love if I had Andy on the show at some point. But for here and now, do you guys care if we talk about the five things I've really learned from Mark Joe? Um, I think they're excited. All right. All right, man. I mean, <laughs> you must have been watching real close to learn five things from me. I mean, I've known you for three years. That's dog. true. Actually, it, has, it, it might have been a little bit. It's been longer, longer now at this point. Yeah. Because I started at First Form in August of 2019. It mm -hmm. is currently September of 2022. It's a little bit longer. And our first conversation was legitimately on the back steps of old HQ. I was staying with my parents. I, I'd been there maybe two weeks. And Andy was actually the guy who told me to go talk to you. Um, because I wanted to just start making progress in life. And me being a guy who is a convicted felon, I don't particularly think I'm talented in very much, but he's like, look, you need to go talk to Mark. Mark's got a history close to yours. I think you guys will really get along. He'll offer you some real practical advice. Your ass told me to stay at home and live with my parents for that's as long a, as possible. That's a and I appreciate that answer. <laughs> Listen, but, that's good advice for anybody. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, again, now don't get me wrong, be as independent as possible as soon as possible, but... I mean, if your parents are cool with you staying there and you can save up some bread and you can just humble yourself for a little bit, it was great advice because I did stay there for like six straight months before moving into the house that I rented and then that led to this. But mm -hmm. as far as like the first thing I really want to remark on, um, this isn't something I necessarily learned inherently from you, but I think as far as an example, and as a guy who really drove the point home to me both professionally and personally, is about the dichotomy between proactivity and reactivity. And the fact is, is that we talked actually at length today about the fact that people who have a reactive nature, life is going to twist them every which way. But the people who are proactive, which it doesn't mean you have to come from backgrounds like us, but you have to have an idea in mind and go for it. Those people that take those chances of their own volition, 
they typically do better. So that's something I think you really exemplified. Riff on that for a little second for me. Man, see, I think it's even broader than 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 how you just described it, though. But I think just generally speaking, this literally might be one of the most significant um, distinguishers between like highly successful su- successful people and like just average or below people, um, which make no mistake about it. You know, I think that the highly, dude, like if you make $200,000 a year or more, you're in the top 3% earners on the planet or something like that, like 4%, um, three or 4% uh, earners on the planet. Okay. Now think about it. There's billions of people on the planet. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of people, but also uh, the other, the rest of the world is the 97%, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm saying right now, like, I think that, that being proactive versus being reactive and living your life that way in like every single crack and crevice of your life, like literally every area of your life. Um, I think that's one of the most significant distinguishers between, um, those people, the 90, the 96% and the 4%. And, and, and really what I mean is it, it applies on like a, on like a, massive scale so let's say you're setting big goals for your life your your goal is to live have a a nice house on a lake over here and you'd like to have a family with you know three kids and you'd like to be making you know this much money okay so when you know that that's where you want to go in life and you know where you where your your desired destination is well, then you can start planning your life accordingly on a day-to-day basis to help get you there, right? So even that, that's a small version of, of living your life proactively is actually taking time to identify where you want to go and then choosing what you do on a day-to-day basis um, with that in mind, you know, understanding that everything that you do is moving you towards it. Now, where, where I think that it makes, a, and that makes a big difference, like I'm a huge fan of you know, goal setting and things like that, just knowing where you want to go. I personally happen to know that like Murph believes in like law of attraction and vision boards and all, all that stuff as well, visualization. So like that, that is, you know, something that proactive people do. And that is also something that a lot of very highly successful people do, right? So not a coincidence there. And then, but where I think it really, really, really changes the game, it, you know, the, the race of life, which is, you know, it's just whether you want to participate in it or not, you're you're in it, right? So, where where I think it changes the game is when you live each day proactively in a proactive mm-hmm. way. And this is why, I've, if you followed me for any length of time, or if you do follow me, then you know that I've I've wait, uh, I do always wake up very early, and I always have. There was a time when we were working at Old HQ together where I was waking up at two thirty in the mm-hmm. morning. Just, I was waking up at 2.30, which is, that only lasts for about six months, but but I was averaging like waking up between three and 3.30 for like two years straight, right? And the reason, people would always ask me, why do you wake up so early? The reason why is because, man, that, like even, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate and I tell a lot of people, like just wake up one hour, like try to get in the habit of waking up one hour before you have to do anything. And, and I think that they, they misunderstand what I'm saying. A lot of people think that I mean like wake up an hour before you have to leave. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about wake up at least an hour before you even have to start getting ready, yeah. before you even have to make breakfast or walk the dog or anything. Like before you have to do anything, wake up one hour before that time mm-hmm. because 
that time has always been the absolute most valuable hour of my day mm -hmm. because it's the time where I sit there and I reflect on the day before and, and like, you know, who did I show up as yesterday? You know, okay, where did I go wrong? Okay, who do I want to show up as today? All right. And then um, if I need to add anything that I missed to my to-do list, if anything from today or yesterday didn't get done, I need to add that to my list today to make sure that it does get done. Okay. Now, whereas the alternative is if I didn't have that time to sit and think, guess what? That thing that didn't get done yesterday, that wouldn't have gotten done today either because I wouldn't have remembered. It was already in the back of my mind. And now I'm focusing on the thing right in front of me, right? So then I think about, okay, what else do I have? What's on today's agenda? Whatever meetings or phone calls or tasks that I have to do, a lot of times I just go, go and this is, dude, I do this without even, it's not intentional. Like I'm not going through a checklist, but this is what I spend the hour doing. And I'm like, okay, I mentally have some of those conversations myself. I go through all of those scenarios myself in my head so that when I'm going through it later on today, guess what? It's not the first time I'm having this conversation or thinking about how I feel about this conversation, you know? And, um, and then not only that, but I have my time with myself. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's so crazy that, you know, the difference that spending time with yourself every day before you spend time with anybody else just just talk to yourself mm -hmm. check in with yourself how are you doing are you proud of yourself lately are you making yourself proud you know um are you where you want to be etc 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 those are the conversations that that really have changed my life more than any other conversations with anybody else has been the conversations that i have with myself you know at four in the morning while the rest mm -hmm. of the world is still sleeping and so when I go through the, when I do, when I give myself that hour, okay, every single day, I go into the day like so prepared, confident, you know, for conversations, for incidents, for whatever. And, uh, and then emotionally and spiritually, like I'm stable. Like I'm not, I'm not just stable. I'm good because, mm -hmm. because I checked in with myself and I checked in with God. And, and, and so for me, waking up early like that and giving my, waking, holding that, holding myself to that standard on a day to day basis. I've been doing this for, years now. I mean, I don't even know. I could do the math, but I'm, you know, I need a pen and a paper. So, <laughs> so, so I've been waiting this up, doing this for years and, and it might just be the single most impactful habit that I've ever developed. And it wasn't until just recently, probably within the last year or so that I realized what is so, it, what is so impactful, what's so valuable about it. And it's that it, it allows or enables for me to wake up and live my life proactively on a day to day basis rather than waking up at the last moment. So let's say I woke up when I had to start getting ready. Okay, so immediately I wake up, I have to start getting ready for the day. All right, well now if anything comes up, now you're automatically behind. Like if, I, if the dog won't, won't go to the bathroom or whatever, okay, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you're automatically behind because you didn't give yourself any wiggle room, all right? And then not only that, but from the moment you wake up, you gotta look at your phone, you gotta check your text, you gotta respond, you gotta whatever, and then you're just going, going, going. Well, now you don't have that time to think ahead, to plan ahead, to, you don't have the time to reflect, uh, which is so important, daily reflection back on your day and how you're showing up. You don't have that time to check in with yourself and check in with God. So now you just, you, you, you lost all your momentum before you even had the opportunity to gain it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's how 
I think that that's how 96% of the earth lives their life. Yeah. Because they react to the day-to-day, yeah. you know, so. And look. Sorry, it, I'm long-winded, guys. But I, but it is, it's a, it's a topic that I feel really passionate about. So hopefully you're with me. And well, that's why it's one of the things I've learned from you is not just for the sake of it adding time to the clock, but it's because there's an informed answer from that. There's something people can learn from. And this is why when I look at the concept of paying yourself first, Richest Man in Babylon, Uh, It's a great book for getting your finances together, but I think paying yourself first with your time is the definition of proactivity, which is like, if let's just say, you know, hundred percent of your time of the day, let's just say you're up for 16 hours a day. That leaves you eight hours for sleep. First of all, you get in a lot of sleep. I I don't want to know how you do it. Second of all, if you don't spend that first 10 to 20% of your day on you, the result that you're going to bring to other people is going to be lessened. There's going to be some halving going on there. And I think in terms of you filling your cup and give it, that's what I started to do. Like for the first two hours of my day, I try not to speak even because mm-hmm. I want to enjoy. And, and look, I, I, I talk to people professionally. I talk to people over social media all day, every day to enjoy those first two hours of quiet, to focus on me, eat a good breakfast, put something good in your brain, mm-hmm. do use some mindfulness, some meditation, uh, stretch and do mobility. These are going to be things that if I try to do them later in the day, get your fitness in, go to jujitsu. If I try to do those things later in the day, they're going to be a less valid result than if I would have done them first thing. Yeah. So always, I prefer the long answers. And again, these people will listen to me talk to talk to me for thirteen episodes. So we get some extra banter in there. Yeah. What's funny though about your answer is actually it's one of the next things that's on my list, which is <clears throat> the the value of solitude. Oh yeah. So. In retrospect, the day that I toured old HQ, our old facility on Green Park, which is right down the street from my parents' house, and I actually learned how to drive in that parking lot. Real funny. Um, it was funny because as I got toured at 5 a.m., it was like middle of September 2019, Mark was actually in there at the old HQ warehouse for the Legionnaire coaches, and he was pushing a prowler with and if you don't know what a prowler is, like it's this big piece of equipment that's super heavy. It looks like kind of like a Tonka truck, but it's it's no fucking joke. This thing will bury you if you are not ready for it. This dude was covered head to toe in sweat at 5 a.m. going ham. <laughs> and one of the things I always respected about Mark. No music. No, no. No, no music. Probably quiet, dead silent in there. <laughs> I think I said hi to you and you just like, were just like, no, I'm focused. Leave me alone. Yeah. And again, it's okay because like you didn't know me, but... Yeah. Back in those days, I do remember distinctly, like you would get there on Sundays. Like I would work out on Sundays because it was one of those days where most people stay home and that's okay. You know, that's not wrong. But I wanted to use our gym because we had that little gym set up. It wasn't even really a gym. It was just a rig in the back of the warehouse yeah. with like a, 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 a like a really random assortment of equipment. But we you, made it you did you did what you could. Yeah, you could power lift on it, and that's all I cared about. Mm-hmm. But I remember I would get there probably like nine ten a.m. on a Sunday afternoon, and you would just be there. You would just be there alone by yourself, cranking out calls, <laughs> touching your people, being useful, whatever you want to call it, productivity, and. It's something that I've always just appreciated is that like, and this isn't something necessarily that you've taught me, but it's affirmed to me in terms of saying you're not selfish for wanting solitude and time to yourself. If you're really going to figure out who you are, you need that time to yourself. So shifting from proactivity, the reason I even bring this up is outside of that story. You told 
a story. I don't know if it was on your podcast or if it was one of these things you, you put on Instagram, but you told a story about when you were in prison, you would wake up before everybody just so you could have time by yourself. What do you think that time for yourself has really done in terms of like your overall success? Because in order to be successful, you got to give that time away. But like just expanding on solitude as a concept. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of brings us right back to like one of the things that it led to was the realization uh, about the distinction between being proactive versus being reactive. Like those habits started when I was in prison and waking up and that's actually how it started. So the reason why I used to wake up at 4 a.m., which is when I used to wake up, I used to wake up at 4 a.m. every day because the lights came on at 7 and uh, so whether you were awake or not, all the bright lights were coming on at 7 a.m. But people used, used to start waking up around 6. So I would wake up at 4 because once people started waking up, it was just constant noise. Like, I don't know if, if you've ever lived in a big city, then you would know what I mean. But, but like, it's never quiet. But, um, but that's kind of like how it is once people start waking up. And, you know, there's, there's however many guys, hundreds of guys sometimes, but, at, you know, at least 50 or 60 guys in the same spot, in the same room, all trying to talk to each other at the same time. There's, three, there's a, two TVs on. There's, you know, a whole bunch of commotion. There's people using the bathroom. There's all kinds of things going on. So you never get quiet. You never, ever, ever get quiet or solitude. And I'm the kind of person where I crave that. I crave solitude sometimes. So I'll wake up. I would wake up at 4 a.m. I would make my coffee. <laughs> Dude, that's where my current morning routine started. There's, there's a theme. I would literally make my coffee. I would pray. I would journal. I would meditate. I would think. I would just sit, you know. And then eventually I would read. And I incorporated, like, yoga into my morning routine at one point. But, like... The, 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 the core of that routine back then was that. And um, I think that solitude as a whole, you know, in general, just to answer your question, in general, man, it's really, honestly, more so than anything, it has impacted my, like, spirit, my spiritual health. Mm -hmm. You know, like, for real. Like, that's the time that I talk with God, um... And, and I think that that is where a lot of my emotional and mental health, uh, too, like, like springs, springs from, because I've, I've historically, like mm -hmm. historically been, you know, depressed and having anxiety. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I got diagnosed with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so mentally I struggle, you know, I struggle really, really bad when I'm in my valleys. Um, and a lot of times you know, and what I mean by valleys, like I think of life as like peaks and valleys, but there's always another mountain, mountain to climb, right? You're either you know, on peak or you're in valley. So when you're in the valley, those are hard times. You just got to keep on going, you know, um, to find the next mountain. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in my valley or when I'm in my valleys, it's because I've deviated from that routine. Like I have not been giving myself that time every day. So like, that's really, it's, it's, I think the biggest things I could take from solitude is, you know, spiritual, mental, and emotional health. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that in order to maintain those things and, and to keep them in pristine you know, condition, just like you try to keep your physical health in pristine condition, right? To keep them what you have to do, just like you have to go to the gym or you have to exercise to stay in fit, good physical health. Well, you gotta give your time that's yourself that solitude mm -hmm. um, every day in order to stay in good health in those other areas. I think a big problem people have with that concept though is that they think they always need to be with people there's always an occasion there's always an event there's always a distraction that says you don't get to enjoy time by yourself and it's kind of it's, it's sort of the ego but it's almost more the obligatory nature of our society wanting to 
not deal with FOMO and all that shit. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, quite honestly, they feel like they're being selfish if they spend that time on themselves, whether it's putting themselves first, putting themselves I don't think that's it. I think, here's the truth, Murph. I think that that is an optimistic answer. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, I think that most people are lazy. Mood. Like I think that most people are too lazy to do it. It's not yeah. that it's not that they feel like they're they're they can they can say, oh, I just feel like I'm, you know, uh, being selfish if I if I take time away from my kids. Motherfucker, wake up before your kids wake up. Mm. You know, like what do you mean? No, you're being lazy, or mm. you're and 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 you know what? The truth is, what I'm what I'm talking about. Like it sounds really, 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 really simple and straightforward. Is hey, spend time with yourself. Hey, you know, take a daily 45 minute walk outside by yourself without your phone, like leave your phone at the house and just go for a walk like that kind of spend time with yourself, which is something that I highly recommend doing because anybody can do it and you're exercising at the same time. But spending time with yourself is not fucking easy. And you know why it's not easy? Because when it's just you and you're looking at the man or woman in the mirror um, and you're with yourself and no distractions, um, no social media, no book to read, no TV to watch, no, no, no distractions. When you're all by yourself, listen, you got face to music, you know, and a lot of times that is very, very, very uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is you've got to take, eventually you're going to, you're going to have a conversation with yourself. That's like a, Hey, who am I? You know, who am I? Who is the person that I'm looking at? You know, and am I proud of that person? Is that person anything like the person that I, I imagined that that person would become when I was a little boy or girl? Mm. You know, like mm. those conversations, they're inevitable. Like maybe not in the beginning, but they're inevitable. The more time that you spend with yourself, the more deep and thorough those conversations are going to become. And guess what? It's very uncomfortable. So a lot of people would rather conveniently distract themselves at every single moment of the day, of their waking day. Yeah. They would. Like it's crazy, but... We wake up, people wake up, guess what? Your 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 alarm is probably on your phone. To turn your to turn your alarm off, you gotta turn your phone off. Like I have an old school alarm clock in my in my bedroom. I don't even here's the truth. You can ask Grace, swear to God. Any any of you that follow Grace, I won't even say nothing to her. Ask her. Ask her if I'm weird about um like what weird rules that I have or whatever, right? It's parameters. I don't even allow devices in my in my bedroom like my bedroom is a no device zone yeah you know so but anyway most people set alarm on their phone so you wake up you turn your phone off guess what your phone's already in your hand may as well open up instagram and see if i have any notifications or you know see that text message notification that came through when i was sleeping okay cool answer that boom, boom, boom. from the moment that you you open your eyes you are constantly conveniently distracting yourself you know you can't even ride in the car without music how about that? Like, mm. there's some people right now mm. that are like thinking to themselves, like, "Fuck, oh, man, maybe he's right." It's you, me. You, I'm people. You, you, <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? You can't even ride in the car without music. So it's like, you know, that that's a sign. That's a sign that like you're dependent on a stimulus. You know, so when you start uh, when you start spending this time with yourself and you eliminate the distractions, no music, no podcast, no audio book. You know, no phone, no social media, and you just be by yourself, that's where your mind starts to go inward, you know, because there's nothing to keep your attention outward. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's what it did for me. Yeah. That, that's what I discovered by spending a lot of time by myself. I also did over a year straight in solitary confinement yeah. before, which is like the longest stretch of real solitude that I've ever endured. And that was, you know, that was profound as well. I bet. I mean, I... 
I never had to go through that kind of experience because I never did a sentence or anything of that nature. I've stayed in county and mm-hmm. I've been on holding because of missing court dates and things. But that is one of those things that I would almost be like, I feel like I would be happier in solitary literally just because That's crazy. I like quiet. And those you know, and look, the, the last guys I was sitting there in jail with, I mean, they were all fine dudes. You know, they, they, you know, they, they took me aside. They're like, bro, everything's going to be cool. Tell stories, teach us how to spell and read and write. Mm-hmm. Actually, a fucking conversation I had. Um, which kind of moves into our next topic. Um, not necessarily laterally, but just keeping the pace of the show going. One of the things that I have often like admired about you and also found intimidating at times, if I could just be completely honest, is your competitive nature. Regardless if it's something you will be good at or even if it's something you're not, have no idea how to do, you are someone who always shows up to compete. And I know that's one of those things that Sal always says. He's always like, hey, show up to compete. No matter what, show up and compete. Like, if you compete and you lose, at least you fucking tried. Still try to win, but always compete. Where does your competitive nature come from? And how do you think it's served you so far in life? Honestly, my competitive nature definitely comes from my childhood. Um, like, I, I have an identical twin. And him and I have played, you know, almost every sport. We were athletes, you know, all growing up. We were always in sports, always... And then not only that, but we are like, you know, we were were just, for the first uh, 10 or so years of our lives, we were just, we had a really, really, really troubled childhood and our our biological mother, um, just, she just wasn't the most responsible parent, let's just put it that way, right? So we were like troublemakers, we would fist fight all the time um, with each other and with other people, you know, and so combine the long sports history with that like confrontational mm-hmm. uh, his character trait as well. Um, and that's just where it comes from. Like it's, you know, it's just is what it is. Like I'll compete at anything. Like any, I don't care what it is. I'm not, I don't care if you're a girl or a kid uh, or or anybody. I don't care if my, my boss, I'm going to embarrass you if I can. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, that's not a joke either. Like Mark wants you to know that he beat you at something, which is, it's funny because you've told me about like the, it's funny because they are twins. Like, if you don't know them well, you won't be able to tell them apart. I know them both pretty well. But you always mentioned to me, which is between the two of you, Matt was always like the more like chill, well-behaved one, and you were the troublemaker. Yeah. Do you think that played a part in your competitive nature? Um, no, I think that I think that was actually a manifestation um, of my competitive nature. Like it was a, it was a, it was a consequence of my competitive nature because, like. You know, even as a kid, I was very confrontational and I was just an angry kid. If you, you know, if you want to hear my story, I actually have it linked in uh, my Instagram bio. Uh, it's, there's, there's a, a podcast that I was a guest on and basically all they did was ask me my story. So that's the most complete mm. um, sort of uh, recording of my story. And, and it does, I do go into that a little bit. But yeah, I was just really, really angry and, and, and you know, misbehaved child. So I think that when people, when kids would like challenge me or they make fun of me or whatever, like to me, that was, that was a bit of a competition as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. like let's just fight then. <laughs> you know? So, so I, I was, I really was the, the, the troublemaker. I, I believe it. Like I do believe it because when I think of the person that you are now, you're very well adjusted. You have reached this, this, this Zen transcendence of life. It's like, I've been through the worst shit most people could ever imagine. Like, I've been in prison. I've done solitary. I, I, I got time added to my sentence, right? Yeah, man. I got I, I got sentenced originally to four years, and I ended up doing five and a half, mm. which is crazy. 
I mean, it's just, I think if you had to tell the average person if they had to do a 120, their world would end. And it's like... Oh, I already know. Yeah, you I know what know. I'm saying? I already know. People, He'll compete with you in prison stints too. People, people are soft, man. They really are. A lot of them, yeah. But you know what? I, I needed that, though. Like, I didn't have a choice. If I had a choice, I wouldn't have lasted 120 days either. You know, when you're there because you don't have a choice, guess what? you you got to last 120 days. And human beings are, are incredible. As soft as they are these days, it's actually by choice. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even, even if it's unknowingly, but it's actually by choice. Because what I had to endure, you know, a five and a half year prison sentence, like, you, you go into it. And it, and it is unbearable in your mind. But guess what? You fucking bear it. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? You had to compete with yourself and your ego. Yeah, but you fucking bear it. You know? And so I think, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just a, a thought that popped into my head when you said it. Because, um, you know, we're incredibly resilient people. And, and, and uh, I guess that's, that's what I'm trying to say is that yeah. I realized that um, through going through that 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 solitary confinement, because you're saying oh, most people won't last 120 days. Like, no, no, people can. Yeah. They just have to be forced into those situations. And it's it's sad because if people would um, subject themselves to, like, daily suffering like mm-hmm. that, yeah. like, I, I don't know. I'm just, dude, I have this question that I like to ask people because I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm trying to say, but, mm-hmm. and, and this will help. But I have this question that I like to ask people, and it's, hey, what's, a, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life? You know, and I ask people that a lot of times because I, that's how much I value mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. Like that's how much I value suffering is that Makes you it grateful. helps me, but it helps me assess you as a person yeah. when I can hear both what the, what it was that was the hardest thing you've ever been through and also how you're speaking about it. Yeah. Like that tells me so much. I don't know what the hardest thing I've ever been through is. I really don't. I would, it would probably be like, and I know you didn't formally ask me, but if I took time to think about it, like there's been a lot of traumatic shit that I've been through in life. A lot of it was self-imposed, which I can accept responsibility for. Um, honestly, one of the hardest times in my life was I actually talked about it on the podcast, my episode six, with regards to Caleb Shomo, because I was just in the biggest pit of depression and I was doing well in life too. Mm-hmm. Like you and I were still working together formally. Um, there were a lot of really good things going on, but I was not okay internally with myself and I was dealing a lot with lack of identity, the feeling of betrayal, heartbrokenness. Um, I wasn't, I, I mean, you know, I don't really, you know, abuse anything anymore. And then there are all those tales of back in 2015 and 2016 where I was abusing a whole lot of drugs and alcohol. I was getting into fights. I was ruining my life and watching it happen and I was okay with it. But at the end of the day, it's funny because that one week I spent in jail doesn't come up anywhere on that. Like it should, but it really doesn't. Yeah. So it is all about how you look at it, but I think that's really interesting about how you sum people up. And I think a lot of people could learn from that. Yeah. And not only that, but I can like tell you definitively that all of the worst things that have ever happened to me, all the hardest things I've ever gone through have also been the most, um, you know, like the most beneficial, like they're the most valuable experiences of my life. Like that's where I've learned everything that I know is, is through those trials and tribulations. And it's not to say you can't learn that stuff without them, but humans are just, you know, they used to say to me when I was a kid, you only learn through your own suffering. Yeah. You only learn through your own suffering. Well, I think most people are like that, you know? Well, it's the dichotomy that makes good things good. You got to have the downs to have the ups. And if you've had some very deep valleys, if you've had some, you know, Mariana trenches, the deepest point in our planet, you can expect that you're going to experience an ambivalence, something that is so joyful 
something that makes you so grateful in the future because you've had that perspective shift. Yes. I mean, again, yes. like, yes, that's why like two people can watch the exact same, let's say performance. Let's mm -hmm. say we watch a, you know, a movie. Okay. Two people can watch the exact same movie and have a completely different experience. Yeah. Right, like one person is is moved and they're crying and they're laughing and they're and the other person's sitting there stoic, right? Well, it's because those people are watching this movie with two different perspectives. Yep. Okay, and so sometimes the valleys they just give you not sometimes the valleys give you a different perspective, give everybody a different perspective, and and then the people who come out of those valleys and overcome mm. them, they even have a much different perspective than the people that are stuck in the valley, right? Mm. So like, it's it's just interesting. That's why I said earlier, like I like to hear how people speak about it too. Yeah. And then the other thing, some people get offended when I ask that question, like believe it or not. Like I can, we, we know somebody, a mutual acquaintance that did, got super offended. It was like, ah, I think that's a stupid question. You should, why not ask people, uh, what's the best thing you've ever got? And, and you know why it's boring. You know why this person got <laughs> offended is because she, in her perspective, she had never been through anything that was that hard. Uh, no, uh, in her perspective, she had never been through anything that was that difficult because only because she knew my story and she was comparing herself to me. Mm. Right. And so mm. she was kind of ashamed and I'm like, listen, like, so I need everybody to understand that because I know people are probably sitting there saying that's not a, that's a stupid thing to assess somebody on. Okay, well, another thing that I've learned over the years is that, like, suffering, um, suffering, trauma, you know, bad experiences. Those those are subjective experiences, right? And so, something that was incredibly traumatic to you might not seem like that big of a deal to me or vice versa like something that was an incredibly traumatic experience for me might be every day you know an everyday occurrence for somebody else out there right and they're and they're numb to it okay so my point is you can't compare yourself there is no um like you you just you can never compare your experiences to other people right something you, you know if it was if it was extremely traumatic and 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 in a hard time in your life or whatever, even if it wasn't traumatic, but if it was just very difficult for you to deal with emotionally and mentally and spiritually, even if it's something simple like an argument you had with your mom. Okay, I had an argument with my mom once, and you know what? It was the only three days in my life that we were fighting, and and that's and it really 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 you know, affected you, well, then that's the hardest thing. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to say, oh, I know it's not a big deal. I know it's nothing compared to what you've been through. No, motherfucker, I felt the same way mm -hmm. that you felt in that moment, the same way you felt. That's how I felt mm -hmm. when I was fucking ashamed of myself, yeah. you know? So, like, that's another thing. It's like, there's no, I, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but there's a word that describes value, okay? You, like, traumatic is not, it's, it's a subjective value, okay? Like, there's no levels that are universal. So like my level 10 traumatic is, 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 is the same. Like your level 10 traumatic is the same as my level 10, even though they're completely different. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like, it's, it's relative. That's so, the thing. Exactly. It's relative. So some people who feel like they've never been through anything difficult, they get angry at that question, but it, but it's like, no, your difficult was the same as my difficult. Well, it's like, let's say I weigh 200 pounds and you weigh 100 pounds. Yeah. We're, we're going to back squat. What's heavy for me is not heavy for you, but it's still heavy. Exactly. It's still relative to me being my size. Exactly. I have experienced the same feeling you have, but the circumstances are just a little different. And exactly. I think if more people were keyed into that, 
I think a lot of people would understand each other a little bit more, but that's kind of where we are right now. So there's a breakdown of communication with most folks. And I mean, I said this earlier, everyone wants to out victim one another, but you Uh look at this from this, you look at this from this perspective of those are those things that built me up. Like Andy talks about getting stabbed in the face that built him up. Mm -hmm. I talk about getting in trouble in 2016 that built me up. And it's because I didn't stop there. I did openly talk about, it's episode two of my podcast uh, <laughs> uh, about my last arrest. I talked about it when they took my shoelaces. You know, maybe killing myself would be better. But, Dang. I mean, bro, it was dark. I know. But then I said to myself. But it's traumatic, right? It's traumatic. Yeah, no, like that, you want to get was... caught on probation with more drugs? Exactly. Fuck no. Exactly. That's the, that's a, you were terrified. But look the direction my life took from there. Five years later, you know, I'm sitting in my own studio, my own house, recording one of my best friends, my own podcast. Like, I, I have a great great career we have great things on the horizon like it's because i was just competitive with myself and i understood that this relative pain right here will not last forever it'll last for a long time (laughs) but when you get on the other side of it there are going to be some benefits into how your character grows from there and i think that's something that you really clearly exhibit and um you know we're boiling down to our last two qualities now our last two things and this is one that you told me recently and I think more people need to do this because it'll simplify the game for them. You've done a fuck ton of hard things in life. Hard prison stints, hard marathons, hard... You just ran 30 miles last week. You did HOA and your team took first. Like, there was that race out back and you won that. Like, there's a lot of hard shit that you have done. But the way that I, you've always credited with average people being able to get there is to make the process easy and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about like how you make hard things easy and enjoyable. Oh man, I don't see this is two different things. You, I, I don't think that those things are necessarily related. Mm. Um, I don't look for easy and enjoyable experiences myself when I'm look like like when I'm looking to do something hard. Like those are very intentional. Um, those things that you see me do. Yeah. Um, Even if it's just like daily routine things, like but in a, in a work volume. Well, yeah, and it. So when I'm, yeah. This, these are two okay so i i did i he's right about both of these things but i don't i don't think that they're that they're related too much but in on a day-to-day basis um i think that what makes things easy is so let's say the habits that, that i have if you want to adopt some like my morning routine or whatever right mm-hmm. um a way that i that i make being disciplined easy is by using stimulus control Stimulus control is like something that I read about um, when I was digging into psychology. And essentially it's like controlling your environment um, very intentionally to make it as easy and convenient for you to do the habit as possible or not do the habit. So for example, I don't own a TV. Well, I recently... (laughs) Now you do. I helped you move it today. That's a lie. I literally bought a TV yesterday. Sorry. But it was not of your own volition. It was influenced. It was was great. But uh, I bought a TV yesterday, but that was the first TV that I will have owned in over a decade. Okay? Um, And that is very intentional. You know why? That's an example of stimulus control. It is very easy to turn the TV on and just relax and decompress at the end of the day and, and, and watch a show. It's very easy to turn it on, whatever, whenever, okay? 
Well, if you don't fucking have one, guess what? It's not very easy to turn it on. Mm-hmm. And and I'm no different than anybody else. People look at, at people like you and I and they say, oh, you guys are so diff- uh, disciplined. No, the fuck I'm not. You know what? Yeah. You know, I just make it very, very, very difficult for me to do the things that I that I have a hard time resisting. Mm-hmm. So another example is that of that is ice cream. I love ice cream. It's probably my favorite. It's definitely my favorite snack. It might be my favorite thing to eat, period. Okay? You know what? I don't keep ice cream in my house yeah ever at all if i want ice cream if i get an urge i literally have to physically leave my fucking house and go to the grocery store and buy some okay and it's like that's very inconvenient so easy and so easy and convenient can be applied almost everywhere in both you know you can when you understand the concept of stimulus control you can use it to help you stop doing bad habits and you can also use it to um, promote or make it very easier and more accessible to do the good habits. Mm -hmm. For example, I have a library in my fucking living room rather than a TV. Something that I try to do every day is I read. So like when I go to sleep, I put the the book I want to read in the morning on the chair that I sit in to drink my coffee. I preset my coffee every day so that it already brews and I set it so that it brews 10 minutes before my alarm goes off. So I hear it and smell it brewing when my alarm goes off. That's, that's how, that's how much I use stimulus control to make it easier to like show up every day to be effective and efficient Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So the, the, the thing I took away from it when you, you know, taught me that idea, it was, it was a meeting we had one time. What it really spoke to me, though, is that life is full of monotonous things and, yes, difficult mm-hmm. things. And even on the way to what you want to do, you're going to have to check off a lot of things you don't want to do. It's the obligatory nature of goal setting and achieving. The thing that it spoke to me more so isn't that those things are going to instantly become less difficult. It's that you make a game out of it. It's mm-hmm. what I've always pulled away from it. It's like, no, I'm winning at life. Every single thing I check off this list it helps me get to my ultimate end goal of my top potential. That's something that, that is true. to me. That's another thing you can do. Yeah, and it's another you know this is another thing that I do do. You know, but uh, I didn't I didn't necessarily think of it just now. But that is also true. You, so if you are an, uh, a competitive person, let's say, and you want to make a game out of life of like, man, how many days in a row can I do this? You know, or hey. Um, can I beat all my my peers at whatever metrics that were judged by? Like it, you know. And then and then the game is you're winning or losing, and you can even have like prizes, right? Like if I do this all month, if I become the number one salesperson in my company, guess what? I'm buying a house, or I'm going to you know whatever. I'm going to dinner, whatever it is, you know. So um, you can have this this reward system with yourself, and guess what? That makes things a lot more enjoyable yeah. and you know what it, it might not be any more convenient but um but it just feels better to to work at something like that and to beat people winners win you know let's see there it is that, 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 murph cool. knows about this murph. Yeah. yeah again you spent you spent three years with this guy it's just known mark loves to compete mark loves to win there's probably like a 99 percent chance you're gonna <laughs> broad margin right there of one percent but it's just one of those things and, okay. it, and it becomes personal too it's <laughs> yeah. i literally want to photoshop your face on mj's body and i took that personally yeah and i took that personally <laughs> this man woke up and was breathing today and i took that personally <laughs> yep uh-huh. but i think as i close off these top five things i'm surprised we're getting this done within like just over an hour which is pretty interesting Um, because I know we could have talked for hours. This is something that I really did learn while working 
under you. And I want to give a little bit of a, a preface to this last one because from a distance, you look at Mark, like that day that I walked in, again, competing with yourself, solitude, being proactive, all those different things. Maybe it wasn't easy or enjoyable, but your life is definitely more easy and enjoyable because you commit yourself to those hard things. From a distance, you know, Mark puts forth a very winning culture for himself, those people who work in laterally with him, essentially underneath him. And at first, it can be really intimidating to work with you. I remember when Jack said, hey, you know, we're changing how things are. You're going to be working with Mark. I was like, man, that's a big, that's a <laughs> big responsibility because I respected not just your work ethic and the results that you produced, but I respected the culture of people that worked with you because you look at some of the folks that worked with you right before and soon after me, they did really, really well. And it was because, again, you had a winning culture. And one of the things that you taught me and something that I've always ascribed to you since we read the book a couple years ago, it, it's primarily known, and what I'm going to state is, is that culture, culture is one of the greatest movers of masses of people. But when I also think about that, someone who I largely associate with you, his works and everything that is available is Simon Sinek. And I think what that ties into is having a strong why, starting with why. So when you hear those things and you speak on culture, how does that strike you? Like, how do you respond to like culture is one of the biggest things I've picked up from you, the importance of good culture? That is, um, I mean, it's cool. I, I think I, th I think that's a great I mean, if that's one of the biggest things that you picked up for me, I, I think it's a good thing because I think understanding um, the nature of culture, like people, people, cultures can, can either be, they're very, very, very attractive mm -hmm. um, to people depending on what people's preferences are, right? That's why there's so many different things out there, like weird things that have like a, a loyal fan base or a loyal following, like to say the least, some you know, like anime, like Murph is into anime. Guess what? Like anime uh, has a, a niche, like it has a crowd that goes hard for it, right? And it has a culture within that, within that group of people who really love anime, there is a culture. Is there not? I don't know. I'm not in It's that. called the otaku. Okay, so it's... it's see? <laughs> it was funny because when we were at that festival a couple weeks ago, there were Akatsuki clouds and Akatsuki freaking gowns everywhere. And him and his brother looked at me like, Murph, don't you wear a little hat that has that same clown on it? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you in a cult, bro? I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah, Murph said, see, cult and culture, <laughs> the, the, those, those words are, can be related, right? But like, I think that when you understand that... Um, it's powerful if you're somebody that is trying to leave a positive mark on the world because you can create a culture around an idea or a set of values. You can create a culture um, around a movement um, or around a brand or around a product. You, you really can. You're, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a peer group, if you will. Okay, mm -hmm. and and when you understand the concept, it enables you to like bring masses of people together because you do it the right way. You don't ask them. Mm -hmm. You don't ask them because when you ask them, they don't come. Yeah. But you create a culture that is immensely attractive to a certain group of people, and and you and you just and you build it, and then those people become walking, talking. They become personifications of your culture that you're building. So then those people attract. The people that would be attracted to this culture you see and it's just a ripple effect and that's how you that's how again you could use that concept if you understand it to bring people together around anything mm -hmm. but that there there's also a caveat there which is that 
there is the culture that you build. It, there's a fine line between um, like. Like, it, like in order, it has to be something that people feel strongly about mm -hmm. um, in order for it to have a really loyal following, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the more specific it is or the more extreme it is or whatever, the, the smaller the group of people that are going to be immensely, like, super attracted to it. Mm -hmm. So you, there's, there's levels to that as well. Like, you can literally build a culture around anything, but some things will have a smaller following just, you know, by nature mm -hmm. than bigger ideas or bigger movements or, more, or broader movements, I guess I'll say, not bigger. Does yeah. that make sense? No, it does. And, like, again, I, I quote Simon Sinek in something that I, you know, have yeah, seen. the why. Yeah, exactly. The thing about it is, as you talk about, it has to be something people feel strongly about. He has a quote at the very back end of Start With Why, and it's about the fact that to be a leader, you can either inspire or manipulate. Mm -hmm. And it's that I think with the current mainstream American culture right now, which I don't think really is something that most people feel a part of. It's just one of those things that's being forced on us. I think it's one of those most manipulative movements in history because I don't think there's anything that meritous about it like everything about when you turn on the tv you largely get on social media you get on tiktok which i don't have a tiktok but i see enough of it you know it's it's not things that inspire me it's a whole lot of just kind of low vibration type of shit that like anyone could do and anyone could be a part of and it's just kind of mediocre and sad to me but again when i look at some of the things that we've been a part of when i look at some of the movements that we talk about creating I'm inspired by those things, you know? I don't know if... I don't know, man. That You brought up a really, really, really good point, which is that do most people feel like they're a part of this culture? Um, and I actually would argue... I don't know if I would argue it, but because it's just... A, this is a fresh thought. Mm -hmm. But... It's input. But I think that... Um, I don't think that, that you call what we're living in culture... Um, like there is an American personality, I think, you know, especially in the mainstream. Um, there's a narrative, there's a personality, but I don't know if, 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 if I would characterize, you know, some of the stuff that's going on in the world right now as American culture. Um, it, it, I guess, it, I guess it would be by nature. It would be, it's just, a, it's just these big, 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 powerful people at the top mm -hmm. facilitating a culture and, and they are, but what I, the reason why I'm making the distinction and the reason why I'm so hesitant to embrace that thought is because, you know, one, you know, I think of culture in an extremely positive light and that's not yeah. a positive thing, but two, um, is that they're manipulating human psychology and human nature but manipulation um, is my big point with it, that. exactly they're manipulating it rather than inspiring i see i see mm -hmm. exactly what you were saying mm -hmm. and that's why so that's why it's almost like a, it like like hearing him describe that as culture and and knowing the respect like which which he does you guys obviously don't but knowing the respect that i have for like the power of of the potential positive power of culture um it's like distasteful to me like it's it's repulsive to me to think of that as like an implementation of good culture. But you know what? They actually are implementing an incredibly strong and impactful culture. It's like you said, for a good culture, you don't have to be recruited for it. I feel like every time I turn on the news, I'm being recruited to think some type of way. Yeah. I look at the comments section and certain posts. This is how I'm supposed to think and feel. And it's mostly That's right. bots. That's right. You look at everything and on our pod on your podcast with Mark and Grace, 
uh, we talked about we might be conspiracy theorists. It's that with all of these things, all this political correctness, why, again, I inspire, I ask you to come onto my show and be politically incorrect. Be yourself, be unapologetic about it. I feel like I'm being sold something I didn't ask for that doesn't serve me and that I'm told I have to be a part of it. I'd rather not. I'd yeah. rather be an outlier. I'd rather be somebody who inspires other people because largely, dude, I've always marched to the beat of my own drum and only when I stopped doing that, when I stopped essentially living through my own core values of individuality, uh, being unapologetic and being unique. That's when I felt like I was part of the crowd. And that was probably the hardest time in my life because the culture was just so deprecating. Yeah. Drug abuse, alcohol, you know, loose exchanges yeah. with whomever yeah. and getting in trouble, making my life a lot harder though, did fix a lot of those things. So I think in terms of that, you know, mm. you, you've done a lot to inspire my personal culture while you know, we don't formally work together anymore. We always talk. We hang out a fair bit. And I mean, guys, if you don't follow Mark on Instagram, at Mark Anthony Joe, um, you should. Always dropping knowledge. Always showing great different sites and local places around St. Louis. You get to see a lot of Grace on there, too. She's always great. Um, the dogs, Louie and Tank. Louie, my favorite little meatball. Tank, you got some work to do, boy. <laughs> I feel like Grace is the only reason that anybody follows me. <laughs> <laughs> she publicizes you pretty hard. Yeah. You don't even publicize yourself that hard, no, man. No, I don't. But I mean, yeah, um, just to plug you real quick before we say some words and get out of here. Again, follow Mark on Instagram at Mark Anthony Joe, all one word. Check out their podcast, Mark and Grace. Uh co-sign off however you want, bro. Oh no, nah, dude, it was a pleasure to be here. You know, I'm just a big fan. I'm I'm just as big of a fan of a good conversation as I am of a good cup of coffee, you know. So like it's it's always a pleasure. See how see how that came full circle. You see what you <laughs> did there? That's great. Well, homie, thank you for being here. I look forward to not only you coming on my show a little bit more, but me talking next time with you and Grace. Yep. Um and guys, again, if you like this, tell a friend, leave me a review, leave me a few stars on Spotify, um, share it to your story. I will share it to mine. And other than that, we'll see you next time. I'm out.